0: Hey, BARD listeners. If you live in New York City and love the public library, we need your help. This past fall, our public libraries sustained deep mid-year cuts that forced an end of seven-day service and reduction of our materials and programs. We're now facing more budget cuts for the coming fiscal year. Libraries across the city stand to lose $58.3 million in funding.
1: If these cuts are not reversed, we may have to reduce materials and programming yet again, including further reductions to our days of service. As many as half of all New York City libraries would be open only five days a week. The good news is you can help. Send a letter to city leaders telling them that you support the library. It's easy, it only takes 30 seconds, and you can do it now. If you live in Brooklyn, go to bklynlibrary.org slash standup, all one word, to fill out the form. If you live in any of the other boroughs, you can send a letter on behalf of Queens
0: Public Library or New York Public Library. Learn how at investinlibraries.org. Thank you so much for your support.
1: Hi there. We just wanted to let you know that this episode is about grief and death during the pandemic, and we're talking about it because we believe archiving people's stories at the library is important. But if listening to stories about death is hitting too close to home right now, we'll be back in two weeks with a lighter story.
2: Almost everyone in my family works as a maintenance worker, you know, in all of these just huge office buildings. Um, And my grandmother um, was the first one to get sick. She was the first one to get a fever and a headache. And we did later learn um, that someone at her job had received a diagnosis of COVID-19 and right around the same time that she was working. Once my grandmother got sick, Um, It was just a matter of time before the people who lived in the apartment with her got sick. And then, of course, uh, my grandfather uh, got sick.
0: This is Kevin Dombrano, a student at NYU. He was born and raised in Sunset Park, Brooklyn, and he recorded his oral history with Brooklyn Public Library in May in order to remember his grandfather, who died of COVID-19 at a Brooklyn hospital.
2: Um, well, his name was um, Fortunato Martinez. He was a maintenance worker for his uh, majority of his life. Um, he, prior to, um, was sort of a truck driver in Mexico and, you know, had decided to come to the US to um, have a better life for his kids. And he was, in many ways, like a dad. Um, just because I had very few interactions with my own dad. I was his grandson, but I would catch it in his sort of slips of like just like when he would talk to me and when my grandmother would talk to me, they'd say the Spanish word for son, which is mijo. And it was in like those moments that I like sort of realized that like, you know, our bond was it was paternal. I can't grieve in any sort of normal way by going to visit family. Just the other day, I went to go pick up his death certificate and on the death certificate, there's, there's a box that says informant and in that box was my name. And I just, I thought about that word. I thought about what it meant to be an informant of death and to be surrounded by it but not understand it. Um, and the thought of what it meant to work cleaning empty office buildings for people who could work at home and could be at home with their families but meanwhile my family was being sent out every night to go clean those buildings and disinfect them so it was a very sort of um frustrating moment and one of anger um because my family didn't have the privilege to work from home
1: Today on Borrowed, we're bringing you a special episode on grief during the COVID-19 pandemic and how we can move forward
0: as a community. This episode is created in partnership with Queen's Memory and the online newspaper, The City. I'm Adwa Ducey. And I'm Krista Corbett-Kavoris.
1: We're calling this episode, Missing Them. One way New Yorkers have been documenting their grief is in local community archiving projects. At the start of the pandemic back in April, our colleagues at Queen's Memory, the ongoing community archive program supported by Queen's Public Library and Queen's College, CUNY, put out a call for stories related to the COVID-19 pandemic. What resulted was an influx of written testimonies, pictures, and voice recordings from Queen's residents who wanted to document their experience in a borough that was then the epicenter of the evolving COVID-19 crisis. Being here in Queens
3: and having communications with people in other parts of the country, what was really hitting us here, being like, we all know people personally who have died, and you don't, and that feels different.
0: Katherine Lasota is a resident of Long Island City in Queens. She's a writer and works at Columbia University. And back in March, she and her family got sick with COVID. She recorded her oral history with Queens memory and talked about what it felt like to be in Queens during the peak of New York City's COVID surge. But yeah, actually,
3: I remember when we first knew somebody who died, that was kind of a turning point. It's like, you you know that something, you know that you're going to know
4: somebody Mm -hmm. who's going to die. Like, you can feel it coming.
3: I know seven people personally who died from COVID. Um, seven people who were former teachers, colleagues. One of them was a student who passed away, unfortunately.
1: Lydia Howrilka lives in Floral Park, Queens. She's a public school teacher in Brooklyn, and she's also a union rep for the United Federation of Teachers.
3: As a teacher, like we were pushing our union to really enforce for the DOE that schools needed to be closed. Because as teachers, we see kids riding the subway and buses they're getting contact with people. And so they were picking up the virus in public transit, passing it on to their parents, many of whom were first responders and essential workers. And then a lot of teachers were getting sick. It's estimated that roughly 80 teachers um, in, the, in the public school system have passed. I remember like in March and April when everybody was like getting sick, like it truly felt that like, three quarters of the city had a disease at one point, like, because like, it's like everybody who lived in the city knew someone mm-hmm. who had lost somebody who was sick, or they knew or they, or they themselves were sick. So like, it really just felt like this all encompassing thing.
1: Across the city, this pandemic has affected everyone
0: in different ways. We have all been impacted by it. Shortly after Queen's Memory started their project, we at Brooklyn Public Library began to collect COVID-19 stories, too. Over the past eight months, a team of a dozen volunteers recorded over 40 oral history interviews. It was clear that Brooklyn wanted to talk, too, and many came to us in order to remember loved ones lost to COVID-19.
1: One of those Brooklynites was Vanessa Emile, a high school teacher who lives in Canarsie. Her family was particularly devastated. In the space of one month, she lost four of her family members. During her recording, Vanessa recited the names of those family members so that they would not be forgotten.
5: My grandmother's name is Mary Ann Tabernacle Amil and she was 95 years old. My uncle is Roger Emile, and he was um, 71 years old, I believe. My father's Jean leaves a meal, and he was 69. And my aunt is Mary Amiel, and I believe she was 66. Yeah, I mean, for my father, I can honestly say that this was um, very unexpected, but even through it all, he was very strong through it. And I think the hardest part about all of this is that he was unable to be be with his family or to see his family, see his kids, be with his wife. And it was the first time losing someone so close to us, but not just once, but for time, all at once, which is a lot. And it just really shows us how time is not given to us. And the time that you spend with people is so important and valuable because even now I just think about the times that I didn't have you with know, my, my father, even my aunt, my uncle, my grandma. I'm just thinking about how could I have, I have maybe um, spent more time with them or do, have done something differently with them.
0: It's hard to imagine how a person can recover from that kind of loss and trauma. This interview was recorded at the end of August, when New York City had a bit of a reprieve. People started to gather again, and businesses and restaurants were opening up. Vanessa spoke about the strangeness of that moment.
5: In the beginning, like in June and July, when things started opening up, it was just hard to step out. And it was just um, this fear and paranoia of just taking off your clothes by the door and just making sure you wash it right away. And now we're at a point where, you know, people just walk in freely, And I guess some, you know, there's more understanding around how the virus is spread. So and then there are times also where I'm looking at people and I'm just like, how, you know, how could everybody just be so free and happy when we just experienced this crazy pandemic? But then I also remember not everybody experienced it the same way.
1: In a city that has collectively experienced over 24,000 deaths to COVID-19, as of the end of November, that number maybe feels distant for those who haven't lost someone close to them. During this pandemic, our city has come face to face with inequities in access to housing and healthcare. Even sitting with that knowledge can be a grief of its
0: own. That's something Esra Dayani talked about in her oral history interview. Esra is an actress and mother in Park Slope, Brooklyn.
3: There's countless levels of grief. There's grief about our, our children and what they're, what they're dealing with. There's grief about we as adults and parents, what we're dealing with. Then there's
0: the grief about what our fellow community members are dealing with that don't, can't pay for their medicine or can't leave the house. There's some days, there's only, there's been a couple days where I've realized that just
3: standing in one place doing absolutely nothing takes so much energy.
6: At some point there needs to be some kind of uh, a reckoning with the whole city of, of the loss.
1: Adam Whitaker is another Park Slope resident and father of a nine-year-old son.
6: I remember after 9-11 that it didn't really feel like The city came to grips until a year later when they read everybody's name and that felt, like, cathartic and that, you know, the city could move on.
0: One of the hardest parts of grieving during the pandemic is that the virus itself is changing the way we mourn. Across cultures, gathering with friends and family is an important part of the grieving process.
4: It's been very unfortunate, naturally, to see these families who um, are so isolated, because I think so much of our grieving and our healing and our coping mechanisms
0: are in the human touch. That's Bonnie Dixon, the president of Maple Grove Cemetery in Queens. Merrill Aguiche interviewed her for this episode, and asked Bonnie about how families have been grieving during COVID-19.
4: I really felt for the families because we were only allowing um, a very limited number to even come to the grave. And um, that's a real time of saying goodbye and kind of settling a little bit or kind of a closure. And a lot of people were not able to participate in that closure we were We were pushed for um getting people buried or um, interred as fast as we could, and that 's something that um, we usually sit down and and for at least an hour you know chat with the people and get a feeling for. Where they are and what they want, and and that wasn't we couldn't do that. We didn't have the time to do that. Um, People were um, anxious to get in. Uh, I don't know how we're going to recover from that. (laughs) But um, I think, as you say, walking among the people um, and walking in the cemetery gives you a sense of not being alone because there are so many who um, suffered the same. Um, consequences.
6: Generally, when someone would die, there would be a wake, um, and the wake would have food, um, the body would be laid out.
1: That's Kay Turner, a folklorist and performer in Brooklyn. Kay has studied traditional practices of mourning as a folklorist, and in early June, she was part of a program put on by the Brooklyn Arts Council and the Guyanese Cultural Association called In Times Like These. The program highlighted the changing mourning practices in Brooklyn's Guyanese community. And when we interviewed her for this podcast, she described the way a traditional Guyanese funeral might unfold.
6: Stories would be told about the person. Then there would be a, a, a 9 nights uh, celebration after, um, after the death. And that would be another opportunity for people to gather. And uh, sometimes there would be music and songs sung.
0: Across Caribbean cultures, big, energetic funerals are common, with drumming, dancing, and food. It's a time for neighbors, family, and friends to gather and celebrate a life. But starting in
1: late March, all non-essential gatherings were banned in New York State in order to curb the spread of the virus. Now that restrictions have eased, funerals are happening again, but in much smaller numbers.
6: So, those celebrations and mourning periods were cut short, and a lot of people, uh, I think, continue to suffer with this, that the the normal vehicles of mourning are like sitting shiva for for the Jewish community. People can't come into a home and sit shiva for seven days when someone has died.
0: Two cultural communities with grieving practices that rely on large gatherings of people, Jewish and Caribbean cultures, both of those communities exist in large numbers in central Brooklyn, which is a neighborhood particularly hard hit by the pandemic.
1: Because so many of our traditions around mourning have been halted, more and more New Yorkers are looking for ways to memorialize loved ones in a safe way that was still emotionally impactful. Kay Turner was one of those people.
6: After the pandemic uh, started to run up uh, tremendous amounts of deaths in April, a number of activists and artists and folklorists in New York City uh, got concerned because the administration, the Trump administration, didn't seem to be creating any national grieving Um, outlet of any kind, and even as we worked our way toward Memorial Day, there was nothing forthcoming.
0: The group that Kay helped form is called Naming the Lost Memorials. Their original goal was to create a community memorial in each of the five boroughs, where people could go to remember loved ones lost to COVID-19. In Brooklyn, the first memorial went up around Memorial Day in May on the fence outside the Greenwood Cemetery. Krista, you live near there, right? Yeah, I do.
1: And I would go to Greenwood all the time um, in May and June because it's just a place you can walk and get some solace. And I remember seeing these paper templates that had been written on and decorated sometimes with photographs. And it really stood out to me that this was so immediate, that this grief was really fresh. These were people in my own neighborhood who had probably
0: lost someone in the past few weeks. The memorials that went up in May were really popular. So the group decided to make monthly memorials to recognize different communities that had experienced loss from COVID-19.
6: We need to encourage these kinds of common memorials that people can make on their own, You know, perhaps annually, this is, uh, you know, a a part of the way that the people can take control of what they want to memorialize, what they feel is, is worthy, what they need to take account of. Naming
1: the Lost Memorials has since put up displays at Madison Square Park for the March to Fund Undocumented Workers, at nursing homes in Staten Island and in Washington Heights, at an MTA bus depot in Brooklyn, and there are more popping up all over the city and the country. We'll put a link to the Naming the Lost Memorials Facebook page, where you can see pictures of recent memorials.
0: Many of us are grappling with this question about how to have a reckoning of loss in the city, how to move forward from this crisis and honor those that have been lost to a deadly virus. The online newspaper the city is trying to figure it out, too.
1: In May, they launched an ambitious project to record obituaries for every New Yorker who died from COVID-19. They call their project Missing Them, and it's an online space to remember and honor every person who died, who they
0: were, and what they meant to the city. Of the nearly 25,000 people who have died from COVID-19 in New York City, the Missing Them Project has collected nearly 2,000 names and written nearly 200 obituaries. And they're aiming to capture all of them because public memorials, Obituaries like the ones you might see in the New York Times or the Washington Post are only capturing a select group of people. Usually they are younger, more white, and wealthier. The city is trying to capture and memorialize everyone else.
7: What's special about this project is it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what your job was, it doesn't matter if you had a job, it doesn't matter where you lived. It mattered that you existed.
1: Caitlin Antonios is a reporter who worked at the city over the summer, where she was one of a team of dozens who called families and friends and wrote down the lives of those lost to COVID-19.
7: You know, everyone that exists has a story to tell and should be valued and should be remembered and should be thought of, Um, especially in a pandemic which is all about numbers, and that's all people are quoting and saying and watching They're not numbers, they're people. I lived very close to a hospital throughout all of April and I was constantly hearing the sirens and my heart was just breaking and this felt like a way to make sure that nobody was forgotten, make sure these stories were told. Every person that I was talking to in the midst of their own grief was thinking about everyone else's grief and they kept saying things like, thank you so much for doing this for my loved one. You know, I'm thinking of everyone else's loved ones who had to go through this as well. And that sort of empathy, I think, is just really special to the feeling of community that's in New York. To search
0: for names and stories of loved ones or to add a story of your loved one who died from COVID-19, visit thecity.nyc missing them. You can also call 646 646- four nine four one zero nine five or text remember to seven three two two four if you want to make a memorial in your neighborhood Visit namingthelostcom slash memorials to find templates and instructions. We'll also put a link to that in our show notes.
1: If you live in Queens, share your story with Queens Memory by visiting queensmemory.org or call
0: 855-QNS-LOVE. That's 855-767-5683. If you're a Brooklynite, you can record your oral history about COVID-19 and archive it in our ongoing oral history project, Our Streets, Our Stories. Visit bklynlibrary.org slash podcast slash oral dash histories for more information. You can also call 917-426-
1: And the city is putting on a virtual event to bring New Yorkers together to remember and honor those lost to COVID-19. So starting Friday, December 11 and running until December thirteenth, you can log on and listen to the stories of lives lost during this pandemic families and friends of loved ones who have passed are encouraged to share memories and community partners like Brooklyn public library will be sharing poetry, writing workshops and theater performances all designed to honor our lost loved ones. So you can register for the free events and read more about the schedule of events at reimagine.org slash missing them. We're going to have all of those resource links on our website. And until next time, we'll be listening for your stories.